Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. If you have your Bibles tonight, I want you to join me, if you will, in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse number 1. For the last few Wednesday nights, I've been talking about a subject, a series uh, I've entitled The Beauty of Holiness. I want to continue that tonight. The book of 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse number 1. The Bible says, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. It is an often prayer of mine to help me, Lord, be cleansed of all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. Amen. I don't want to just look right. I want to be right. Praise God. Praise God. You may be seated. And thank you for your worship tonight. What a tremendous atmosphere to come in and feel the presence of God. At its base, biblical holiness just simply means having Christ-like qualities. It means bearing the fruit of the Spirit. And it means exercising the power of the Spirit. And it means being free from the bondage of sin. I concluded my message last Wednesday night by talking to you about two life illustrations, real life illustrations that had happened to me last Wednesday, watching people under the crippling weight of the bondage of sin in the parking lot. I mentioned those uh, illustrations, and I'm thankful today, amen, that there is a freedom from the bondage of sin. I, I believe that we should have all of us, not only as a collective body, but I believe that each of us individually should have strong holiness convictions and not compromise them. Time, circumstances, um, they happen to us all, <clears throat> giving all of us an ample opportunity to, um, to let go of some things that we have held fast for many, many years. I believe that immeasurable harm has been done by those who caved under the pressure of the outside world and influence and wherever that influence may have found its birth, uh, somehow caved under that. So that's why I believe that it is imperative that, that saints of God, people that have a, an established walk with the Lord, just maintain their walk with God because someone's watching and whether they walk up to you and express how disappointed they are, that may never happen. But I will promise you somebody is watching the steps that you're taking and they're counting on your consistent steps to help them find their way. I believe that equal harm has been done under the guise of holiness teaching from perhaps people that lacked wisdom on how to approach the subject. I do not believe that holiness should be taught with a spirit of condemnation. I don't believe it should be taught with a ball bat in hand. Amen. I believe that it should be taught with love. 
I believe that it should be taught with patience and I, I believe that it should be taught with understanding to help make sense of the scripture. I believe that we could use the model of the New Testament church. I believe that's the greatest example that we could hope to find is the model of the New Testament church. For example, we can exhort people to follow modesty and follow temperance and things of that nature. And, and if there are specific problem areas or specific circumstances, I believe that those type things can be, um, I believe those can be worked through in discipleship classes. I believe that uh, those can be worked through in pastoral counseling and things of that nature. But I believe that there should be a model before people. Amen. I believe that that model should be the church. And we should be able to be an example to others around us. I believe as far as guests are concerned that we need to welcome them and, and we need to love them as they are. And by the way, I trust and I really have confidence that we do that. Amen. That we just accept people and, and, uh, and allow them to be wherever they are, not to have some sort of criteria before they enter the building. Amen. This is not Sam's. You don't need to show your card at the door. And I believe that when we create that kind of atmosphere, that we, we intentionally leave room for God to work because it truly needs to be a God thing. If you're sharp enough to talk somebody out of something or into something, there may be somebody behind you that's a little sharper than you that can talk them in or out of something. But when the Spirit of God does something, and so that's why the Apostle Paul could say, if we or an angel come preaching any other gospel, it wasn't because he received what he received from a lecturer. He didn't receive that from a professor. He didn't see, receive that in a classroom. It was a divine revelation on the road to Damascus. And so it was God. It was a God thing. He understood in that moment of time who the Lord really was. And so he was convinced in his heart deeply. And so I believe that we intentionally create an atmosphere for people to grow and let the Spirit of God do the work. And I, I'm not negating any responsibility of the pulpit, any responsibility of the leadership of the church, not at all when I say that. But it does take the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of the Holy Ghost, to draw mankind to repentance. It also takes the Spirit of the Lord to give people the power to change their ways. Amen. There's some serious things that have to be dealt with because some people are not just trying to start talking clean. Some people have much taller mountains to climb. Amen. And so you find somebody bound in some, some real addiction of some sort, we need the Spirit of God to help them and to lead them and the power of the Lord. So that's why it's so important that we as a church emphasize the, the, the importance of being filled with the Holy Ghost because after receiving the Holy Ghost, it's a lot easier for people to sort things out in their life because they have the Spirit of the Lord to help them. John 16 and 13 says, Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all things. And so we need the Spirit of the Lord to, to move and let his Spirit lead and guide. And, and you know what? He's, he will. He will touch those hearts. I think it's so important that, uh, that we have patience. Last week I, I mentioned the missing moral compass in most homes. And, and, uh, and so there is, not, there is not that baseline of understanding of, of sometimes what is right and wrong. 
We meet people all the time that have never worked a secular job in their life. They have only made their living on the street selling drugs and stolen property and things of that nature. They, they have no moral compass. They have no idea what it would be like to get up, go to work at 8 and get off at 5 and things of that nature. There's, there is the absence of that moral compass. And so they need encouragement and they need understanding. We've seen people receive a genuine experience from God but then sadly at times driven away because people have been overzealous and lacked wisdom and, and tried to give them meat when they were not ready for meat. Amen. And, and every baby grows at a different level and at a different pace. And so we need to have the spirit of God to say, Lord, you lead us and guide us. And we're just going to love. Amen. We're going to be patient. We're going to be kind and give God time to work through his spirit give God time to work through the preaching and the teaching of his word and also give God time to work through the example of the congregation. Praise the Lord. And so we should never underestimate the power of God to change a person's heart. Hallelujah. God can work whenever we all go home. God can work when we turn out the lights of this building. I have great confidence that when, when a service is ended that the service didn't end. I have true confidence in that. I have great confidence that we can turn out the lights of this building, but we can't turn off the power of what happened in this building. We can lock the doors, but you can't lock the spirit. We can all disperse, but you can't separate us. Amen. We can go our different ways, but you can't separate the body because we are one. And so we are praying as one. So never underestimate the power of God to reach into a life, into a person's heart, into their home. And so if we'll let the spirit lead us and if we will cultivate the fruit of the spirit in our own life, then I will promise you the end result of that is that holiness will come naturally and holiness will come easily because it will be a joy and not a burden. Amen. And so when, when we talk about holiness, it's really easy for people, as I've said a few times through this series, it's really easy for people to emphasize a list of do's and don'ts. But in really, in all honesty, as I have emphasized over and over again, that... that uh, that it is not that easy. It is not that simple. Because if it's just a list, it'll only be a list. If it's just something tacked to our refrigerator, that's where it'll be. But if it's in our heart, amen, if it's in your heart. All, many of us in this building tonight have not only children, but grown children. And so when, when children uh, become older and more responsible, you can only hope and pray that they exercise the principles that you've taught them in their home. And so when they leave the house for the first time and get on the bus and go to school, or whatever means or method they use to get there, you can only hope that they're going to tell the truth. You can only hope that they're going to be honest and be a young man or a young lady of integrity. You have to trust, as I've said the other night, Brother Williams has repeated a couple times, but we have to trust the seed. We have to have confidence in that seed that we have planted in their heart. And so we, uh, it, it's more than that. And so I, I will be very candid with you in teaching a series of this kind. It, it isn't easy to be specific and plain and honest without running the risk of sounding or seeming somewhat legalistic. There is a very thin line. And, and so I trust you who know me and we have a personal relationship to know the difference and know my heart. But I want to make a concerted effort to put things in proper perspective because this is serious business. 
It is very serious business. And so we need to de decide or describe, perhaps, define the basic nature of our walk with God. Because I believe that our life is a life of faith. And, it, and, it, and it's a life of faith and liberty. And it is not a life of legalism and drudgery. We're not here. I pray to the Lord that nobody drug you here kicking and screaming tonight. Amen. It is a life of faith and liberty. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And so tonight, we're not just merely trying not to do wrong, but we're trying to bear fruit that's pleasing to God. I'm not just trying to stay in bounds. I'm not just trying to stay on the road because that's the seems like that's the thing to do in our culture that we drive on the pavement, not in the ditch. I don't want to stay on the road because that's what everybody else thinks is right. I want to stay out of the ditch because I know there's real dangers that exist in the ditch. And so I want to have a concerted effort of bearing fruit. And so our, our study is based on the following concepts, and that is that we live by faith and not by works. And that the Christian experience is one of personal freedom from sin and also from the law. And that a life of personal consecration to God. And that we display holiness by imitating the life of Christ. And that we bear the fruit of the Spirit. That is our goal. Those fundamental things. Amen. And so the purpose, the first reason of holiness, I believe, is to please God. Not to please man. Not to try to check a box somewhere. He purchased us with his blood and we, not, we don't belong to ourselves. We've been bought with a price. That's what the scripture says. So we can't live to ourselves. I can't say, well, you know, it doesn't matter what somebody else thinks because it does matter what others think. It does matter. It does matter. And, and we can't live to ourselves. I've got to live unto him. The second goal of holiness is to communicate Jesus Christ to other people. Amen. I believe that we attract and win others to the Lord by the life that we live. And I'm not just talking about being a mannequin on display. That's not what I'm referring to. I'm not just talking about parroting something, but I'm talking about in our actions, in our deeds, and in our honesty, and in our integrity. And thirdly, I believe it is the realization that, that Christian holiness is right. It is the right thing to do. We have to fundamentally understand that in our mind, and it will benefit us not only now in this life, but in the life to come. And that to live for God, we must first understand that we are saved by faith and not by works. And as mundane as that may sound to somebody that's been around the block several times, I want to tell you that we must understand that we are saved by faith and not by works. Faith leads us to repentance. And faith causes us to obey the word of God. And faith leads us to water baptism. And faith leads, leads us to the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Faith is the catalyst behind all of those things. And so our motive, our motive for holiness must be faith. And not works, not something that we can do within ourselves. I can't follow holiness in order to try to earn my salvation or to try to earn favor with God. Nothing could be further from the truth because our salvation depends totally on our relationship with God. Me as an individual, you as an individual, that's where it all comes down. Although works do not save us, our faith does lead us to certain things. Amen. We're not saved by works, but our faith will lead us to certain things. It will lead to an outward manifestation. James 2.17 says, Faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. Because you can't just have faith. There has to be something to go along with that. 
And we would demonstrate our faith in God and we demonstrate our faith in God's word by our daily actions, by what we do, by who we are, the very fiber of our soul. I've mentioned a couple times, I may mention a couple more times, but we didn't just dress up to come to church tonight. Amen. We didn't just shore up and clean up to come to the house of God. But this is who we are when we lay down at night. This is who we are when we get up in the morning. This is who we are when there's no one home but us. This is who we are. Praise God. The Bible says in James 2 and 18, show me thy faith without thy works and I will show thee my faith by my works. And so the conclusion is this, is that we cannot be holy by our own efforts. You can look holy by your own efforts, but you can't be holy by your own efforts. Amen. Uh, you know, the old uh, Western movies and things of that nature uh, have these towns that are built out in the middle of nowhere, but most of them are just facades. They're not real towns. I mean, it looks like the bank, and it, and it looks like the saloon, and it looks like the hotel, but if the camera were to pan just a little bit off cue, you're going to realize that there's just props, that there's just big boards that are just holding up the fronts. And so that, that does no one no good. Nobody can find lodging in that hotel. No one could find nourishment in that, in that restaurant. Nobody could find what they need in a stable or in the general store. And so I will tell you tonight that we've got to have this on the inside. There's got to really be something there. You know, I'm sure we've all been there and, and, and you see something on display and, and you realize that it's not in stock. Well, then take it off, take the picture down. Because you got my hopes up here. I decided. And now, now no one can find it. It's not here. And so I say, Lord, help us. If we are not going to be apostolic to the core of who we are, then we owe the community an, an apology and we need to take it off our sign because when they come in, this doesn't need to just be a facade, but behind the scenes, there needs to be something. Amen, we, can't, we, we can look holy without him, but we can't be holy without him. Amen. And so if I can be holy, if we can just put our faith in him, let the spirit of God do the work. And through the power of his spirit, we are no longer servants to sin and we are no longer servants to the law, but we are free to choose. The greatest and, the greatest and yet most dangerous gift that God ever granted to mankind was the ability to choose. But outside the ability to choose, it would not be a relationship. It would not be a real relationship. And so I'm thankful that we have the freedom to choose and we're free to do God's will and we are free to live above sin. We have Christian liberty, but, but we can't use that Christian liberty to indulge ourselves in fleshly activities. Just because we have grace, does that mean we sin? The writer of the New Testament said, God forbid. God forbid that just because you can, you do know because there's forgiveness that we just live as though we've got some sort of super spiritual badge that allows us to get by. No, amen, we need to understand that I wanna live and please God, but I also wanna live my life in such a way that it would not hinder others. I don't wanna become a stumbling block. Amen, that may sound like an antiquated word, but it's a real word and it's a real issue. I don't want to be a stumbling block in the path of someone else. 
Amen. So before Christ, mankind tried, you read through the Old Testament, tried to fulfill the law by their own works. They tried to fulfill the law by their own efforts, but they failed because they were weak in the flesh and they were subject to sin because they were born in sin. And so what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son. So we're thankful for the infilling and the empowering of the Holy Spirit. But after Christ came, we are freed from the dominion. That's a powerful word. It's a powerful word that is really a word we need to think about. I'm thankful for the to be free from the dominion of sin, amen, and the weakness of flesh. We no longer have to be led, amen. The Bible, the, the, David said, order my steps in your word. Order my steps in your word and let not sin have any dominion, amen. Don't let it become a domain. Don't let it, have, don't let it hold me captive. I'm thankful to be free from the dominion of sin, hallelujah. I'm I'm going to tell you tonight, there are people in this building that knows what it's like to live every day under the dominion of sin, under the umbrella, under the crushing weight of sin, but by the blood. <laughs> Hallelujah. I thank God for the blood. I see a crimson stream of blood and because of that crimson stream of blood, we have found forgiveness and not just forgiveness, but remission. Hallelujah. The setting aside, the washing away, the separating far as the east is from the west praise God so we can follow the spirit and we can fulfill the righteousness of the law because we have his spirit in other words the law I mean the spirit rather gives us a new nature born again don't let that just be a Christian catchphrase we ought to really be born again this new creature is none other than the spirit of Christ and, and the Bible says it's Christ in us the hope of glory Jesus lived on earth for 33 and a half years to give us an example to follow, an example in all things. And I think it is very appropriate, more than an armband, but really what would Jesus do? We have an example. We really have a tremendous example. He died and rose again to defeat sin and, and to defeat death, but also to give us a powerful example that we can follow. And this is why this is what holiness is all about. I believe it is allowing the Spirit of God to shine through us. I say that boldly but humbly. Amen. That, that's what holiness is all about. Because in this way, we become living examples. You bring the Bible to life. A living example of what God can do. It's the fulfillment of 2 Corinthians 3. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 3 and 2, ye are epistles written in our hearts known and read of all men. Don't ever doubt. Don't ever doubt 2 Corinthians 3 and 2. Don't ever doubt that somebody's not reading you, that somebody's not looking and they're weighing. They're gonna watch how, how you respond. Amen. For as much as you are manifestly declared to be an epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not tables of stone, but the fleshly tables of heart, that that's where the word of God is. Amen. It's not on a rock we got to go visit. It's not in a book that we've got to find an index and find the particular page. No, it's written in our heart. And that's why when we are walking out, when we are walking through our normal day, the normal course of a day, and you maybe feel something or sense something, and it is the Spirit of God nudging you, yes, or nudging you, no. Amen. You know what that is? That is the written Word of God on your heart. It's not a book we've got to go try to reference. We've got to try to figure out how to handle this. The Spirit, 
The Spirit will lead us. The Spirit will guide us. Amen. Lord ever nudged you? <laughs> the Lord ever prompted you? Yes. The Lord ever pulled you back with a no? Amen. That was a word. That was his word that was written in our heart. According to Matthew 5 and 16, the good works that he produces in us will lead men to God and they will glorify him. They will glorify him. So let's talk just a moment about the characteristics that we as born again Christians display. The Bible says in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, what an excellent list. And this list is called the fruit of the Spirit. It is so fundamental. It is so basic that often people just kind of check out. They just disconnect. They say, well, I've heard this again and again. But here, you can never get away from something this rudimentary. It is the foundation of who we are. Because if we have the Spirit in us, we will bear this fruit. Amen. If we are living in a healthy manner with the Spirit of God, if we're not bearing this fruit, we've got to ask ourselves what's wrong. And so while speaking in tongues is the initial, initial evidence of the Holy Ghost infilling, there is an abiding evidence that the Spirit dwells in our life. And as, that is the manifestation of the fruit of the Spirit. And so Paul lists nine elements of the Spirit. He says love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. That's what the Apostle Paul, that's the list he gives us, the fruit of the Spirit. However, Simon Peter lists eight qualities that will make us fruitful in Christ. So watch this. Faith, virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, and charity. Please pay attention. There'll be a test at the end. So here it is. There's the, oh, note, the overlapping, I'm sure you caught this, but note the overlapping nature of these two lists. Faith and temperance are repeated by both of these writers. Virtue and godliness are both aspects of goodness. Brotherly kindness and charity are aspects of love. And patience is similar to long-suffering. Amen. So these two lists that two separate writers inspired, two different writers, two different men inspired by the same spirit. Amen. They give us an overlapping list of this is what should be the end result of somebody having the Holy Ghost. Amen. I, I want to briefly talk about the fruit of the Spirit. As we go through this list, remember that this is the fruit that God expects us to bear. Amen. And this is the fruit that will attract other people to the gospel. This is the fruit that will attract other people to the, to the experience that you have in your own life. The first in that list is love. And that is the most basic and fundamental element of a Christian life, love. And so we're commanded to love our fellow Christians and we're commanded to love our neighbors and everybody says yeehaw, but we're also commanded to love our enemies. Oh, it got a little tighter there. Not just love those that love us back. Not just love those that honor us, but to love even our enemies. And so love is a test of true Christianity. And, and if we understand what love is, if we understand what love means, then we can fulfill biblical holiness. Amen. For example, love one another will eliminate things like jealousy and strife and gossip and murmuring and bitterness because you can't love somebody and do that against them. Love for God will eliminate worldliness and rebellion because you can't love God and love the world and things of the world. 
On the other hand, if we do not have a love for both God and man, then nothing is going to make us right in the sight of God. Nothing. Romans 5 and 5 says, The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. That's how the love of God is shed abroad in our heart. Another aspect of the fruit is joy. And as, a, as with many other aspects of the spiritual fruit, we, we receive joy from the Holy Ghost. And we can have God's joy no matter what happens to us. And so we're not talking about happiness. We're talking about joy. So regardless of external circumstances, we can always rejoice in this God of our salvation. Amen. Joy is a weapon. Hear me tonight. Joy is a weapon that we can use and it is a source of strength in the time of our trials. Hear me now, Jeremiah, I mean rather Nehemiah 8 and 10 says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Not your song, not your last name, not your giftings, not your, not, not, no, none of the things on that list. It is the joy of the Lord that is our strength. And so when discouragement comes, and it will, and so when discouragement comes, we can draw upon the joy of the Spirit and there gain our strength. We can praise our way to victory. Amen. I, I don't want to sound snide tonight, but you've come to town too late to tell me any different. We can praise our way to victory. Isaiah 12 and 3 says, Therefore, with joy shall you draw water out of the wells of salvation. And so whatever you do, hear me this evening, don't lose your joy because joy is the bucket with which you can go to the well and draw water out again and again and again. Psalm 16 and 11 said, In his presence, in thy presence, is fullness, wholeness, completeness, of joy, And so if we draw close to God and we enter into his presence, we will have perfect, balanced, centered joy. Amen. What about peace? We can have peace in the Holy Ghost. No matter what happens, you can have an inner peace. I'm preaching and teaching tonight to men and women that have been in the throes of life just turning you upside down and the winds assaulting and assailing on either side. But yet somehow, oddly, there was that deep sense of peace when we felt like we should have been almost more troubled and burdened than we were. There was a spirit of peace. We can have our peace in our mind. We can have peace with others. In fact, the Bible expects us, says Jesus expects us to have that peace. He said, blessed are the peacemakers. Hallelujah. And so how do we acquire and how do we maintain peace in our lives? Isaiah 26 and 3 says this, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. And so I just want to give you a 2023 recipe. I want to give you a current and a relevant recipe. When you feel the spirit, amen, that is coming against your peace, when you feel troubled, when you feel worn, when you feel weary, I'm going to tell you that what you need to do is go to the Word of God. Go to the Word of God. And you may think, well, I'm not even in a frame of mind that I can read and keep my mind attention and my mind focused on it. Then I'll tell you, we've got it all over the place. Every one of us have got probably many, many venues that we can just turn on an audio version of the Word of God. Amen. I'm going to say it again tonight amen stick those earbuds in your ear hallelujah and just sit down and sit back and let the word of God amen just hear listen to some of the psalms and let the spirit of God just do a work why he said I'll keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts 
because he trusts. Oh, thank you for the word. Amen. The power of peace. The power of peace. Last Saturday morning, this past Saturday, my wife and I were in Lake Wells for a funeral. And, and uh, I, I have met this man on several occasions. And he has actually told me this every time. And I, I don't say that. I'm, I'm, I never get weary with hearing it. But it was the man, many of you remember Brother Fred Tyndall, a member of our church for a long time, Brother Tyndall. Uh, Brother Tyndall had lived a very rugged, a very wayward life. I didn't even realize really, to be honest with you, how far out in sin that Brother Tyndall had been prior to coming to the Lord. But this man called and, and uh, he and, and uh, Brother Tyndall were friends and, and he kept witnessing to him. And as you know, Brother Tyndall didn't live that far from here, just a little bit south in Dixie County. And, and so they found our church. He found our church online and he said, I'll come and I'll go with you to the first service. And he just reminded me again this last Saturday. He said, I was witnessing to him and talking to him about the truth that I had found. He said, we were, we were old buddies in the world and we had done our fair share of all kind of nonsense but he said I wanted him to find what I had found and he said so we found the church and we drove up and he said and when we pulled into the parking lot he said I said to Fred do you feel that amen he said yes I feel something he said that is the peace of God hallelujah I'm going to tell you today amen I don't believe they're the only one that pulled in this parking lot and found peace so I say Lord help us to be at peace in our heart help us to be at peace in our mind help us to be at peace with one another. Why? Because there's a loss in a lonely world and they need somebody. They don't just need a song Sunday morning. They don't just need a sermon Sunday morning. They don't just need somebody in a suit and tie to shake their hand. They need peace. And so I say, dear God, let us, the church, let us have the fruit and the spirit of peace. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. Oh, goodness. We need long-suffering and patience. And I know these are subjects nobody wants to broach because we think if we don't say it, we won't have to deal with it. But that's like just saying, well, we won't ever say the devil, and he'll go away. We're kidding ourselves. Because patience is so important to a Christian experience because Jesus said, in your patience possess you your soul. That's what Jesus said. Long-suffering implies patience and forbearance in relationships with people. Long-suffering long comes with meekness and love and, and a desire for unity and a desire for peace. I'm speaking to people tonight that have desired peace over being right. Amen. Because sometimes you can... You can be right or you can be in peace. <laughs> I know when you're young, 20, 22, you're going to be right and you just die on any hill. You just keep breathing. It's going to have to be a pretty high hill after a while. Because long suffering comes with meekness and love. It, a desire for unity. A desire for peace. Patience comes by the trying of our faith and patience comes by tribulation. But if we let patience have her perfect work, we will have everything else we need. You're not going to avoid it because you don't think it. You're not going to avoid it because you don't say it. Where people say, oh, I ain't going to pray for patience. Oh, no, no, no. We should. 
We should. Gentleness. Gentleness is not the same thing as, as weakness. And to be gentle is to be courteous and mannerly and, and kind. To be gentle is not to be harsh or violent or, or rough. Jesus was gentle in dealing with people. Yet he was firm and he was very decisive when it was necessary. But that was the exception and not the rule. I mean, we find him one time with a whip in his hand. We, I know we find him multiple times rebuking people, but, but sometimes we, we want to go through life with that whip in our hand. That's not the example that we have before us. The Lord wants us to be gentle to all men, all mankind. His gentleness, I believe, will make us great. And then, the, then there's goodness, and the, the word includes righteousness and morality and virtue. And we got to remember that there is none good but God. That's what Mark said. There's none good but one, and that is God. And if we have anything, according to James eleven seven, if we have anything that's good, it's Him. Amen. As our musicians are coming, I will con- conclude by considering just a few more things that we should bear. And that is faith. Not only do we need faith to be saved, but we need faith to continue our walk with God. Because without faith, it is impossible to please him. Hebrews 11 and 6. It is impossible. Faith makes us realize that, that all things work together for the good of those who love God. Amen. It works together for good for those who love God. Faith assures us that God will never allow us to be tempted above that we're able without providing us a way of escape. Corinthians 10, 13. I know in our humanity we've thought, well, he sure thinks a lot of me because he sure put a lot on me. But faith, faith assures me that God trusts me to handle this. Faith will bring, un, or faith will bring answered prayers and faith will bring supplies to our needs and faith will bring fulfillment to promises that he has made. Faithfulness also means being loyal, true, and constant, consistent. So how do we receive faith? First, the Bible says that every man has been given a measure of faith. So we we come from the factory with a little bit. Amen. He's given to every man a measure of faith. And then we build that faith primarily by hearing the word of God preached and by reading the promises of the word of God. And so, whether or not we leave a service, you know, there are services that just the message was right to us. It was a, it was a life raft that we needed to keep us from drowning in that moment. But then there are other times that we just come to church and we go home and we wonder in our heart, maybe even not out loud, but what happened? But I'll tell you what happened. If nothing else happened, our faith increased because the preaching of the word went forth. And so whether it was the preaching of the word by somebody preaching their very first sermon, or somebody that's been doing it for decades. God didn't put it in categories. It's the word. Faith cometh by hearing. We can also increase our faith by the hearing the testimony of others. I've been so encouraged by the testimony of others of what God has done. Amen. But I've also been encouraged by drawing on my own past experiences. That's not ego talking. Because the same things that God has done are equal to what God has done in your life, he's done in mine. And so I rejoice in your testimonies, but I also rejoice in my own past experiences. How do I know God will? Because he has. How can I know that he'll do it again? Because he's done it in the past. Praise God. And so faith comes in a 
you know, sometimes it comes by the, the testimony of the word, the testimony of others, our own experience. But also, I would like to just mention one th- other thing. I believe that, that faith can come to us in critical moments as a supernatural gift. Amen. Critical moments. We didn't have time to pray about it. We didn't have time to plan for it. But in that critical moment, God can give us the faith that we need. Amen. The faith that we need. Praise God. Meekness. I know it's almost akin to gentleness, but meekness means to be patient and mild and not inclined to anger and resentment. And again, this does not mean weakness because meekness includes things like humility and a realization that we're nothing if God is not in it. And meekness, I believe, is a very important quality to have. The Bible talks about Moses. Moses was the meekest man in his day and Jesus even described Moses as meek and lowly. Now, those are not the qualifications that we would look for in a resume to be the leader of a nation. But God used him. And Jesus said in Matthew 5 and 5 that the meek would inherit the earth. So here are some things that the Bible says should be done with meekness. Number one is preaching the word. Another thing that should be done with meekness is receiving the word. Another thing that should be done with meekness is helping others and restoring an erring brother. Galatians 6 and 1. Ye which are spiritual, restore such a one. In the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Because while your arm is around them, trying to help them up out of the mud and mire, realize this, it could be their arm around you, trying to help you up out of the mud and the mire. Amen. Praise God. Meekness is an attitude that I believe that we should constantly strive to develop in ourselves. Meekness is an ongoing process. It's not a one-time visit to the well. The Bible says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. James said in in James 4 and 7, and in verse 10, he said, humble yourselves in the sight of God. That's what James was admonishing us to. And then finally, temperance. This encompasses self-restraint, self-control, moderation and these are all things that just kind of fly in the face of our society today because very few things are done with self-restraint self-control and moderation I'll ask you to stand and so not not trying to sound ridiculous or be outlandish but in the truest sense of the word please hear me we can turn anything into a sin. Anything. You name it. And we have the capacity to make it wrong. Amen. What could be wrong with nourishment and a meal? Why, why nothing? It sustains us. But we can turn it into gluttony and gluttony would be sinful. What would be wrong with visiting our family? Why, why nothing? The Bible talks about a lot of things about family, but if that, keeps, keep, if that continues to keep us away from the house of God, then at some point visiting grandma becomes wrong. We, we have the capacity because if we don't have self-restraint, if we don't have self-control, if we don't have moderation, that balance, then anything good can be ruined by taking it to extremes. Amen. You know, we, we all know people in our, our lives, maybe friends or maybe your family, have family member. 
and they are very funny, witty. But then sometimes we have that person that just don't know when to stop. Amen. Now, if, if you don't know who that is, it might be you. I don't know. <laughs> and so what started out fun and pleasurable, all of a sudden because of the lack of moderation, the lack of knowing where to just kind of taper that off. It just, what was funny a moment ago is now is we were way out in the weeds. And so we need temperance. Philippians 5, 4 and 5 seems to summarize things so well. And that is this. Let your moderation be known unto all men. Praise God. I want to say tonight that I'm very thankful to have friends in my life who exercise moderation. And they help me to be moderate. They really do. Amen. I've told my wife, this, I've told her this more than once, but certainly most recently, Brother Rogers and I have been having to go all across the state taking care of some business that we have to do, business meetings we have to take care of annually. Brother Rogers is a very conscientious eater. And, uh, and so when we're together, it makes me be more conscientious. <laughs> And so the other night we were, um, after a meeting, they had some things served. They were two different platters, one just piled high with sub sandwiches, another platter that just had the ingredients of sub sandwiches, just the meat and the cheese. And, and in my mind, I was already reaching for the sub, and I saw him getting just the meat and just the cheese. And I knew he was right. And I told him, I said, thank you for the positive influence. I was serious. I was, it was just, he didn't say a word. He did not say a word. He was just being moderate. It was nine o'clock at night. We didn't need any of that probably, but we're trying to be nice to the host. And so I'm thankful for friends that have moderation. And so I'm talking about a literal plate of food, but I'm also thankful for friends that know how to stop talking. Amen. How to take a conversation and just bring it back to normal. It helps me to be that way. Praise God. I'm thankful for people that in my life that can see the positive, not ignorant of the negative, but focus in on that. It helps me to focus in on those things. Praise God. Lord, let those things be in our lives. Let's magnify Him. Thank you, Jesus. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806. Or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.